0: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac, or drop a crispy fry between the car seats, or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, Ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing, carefully consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Co. Hello, you're listening to the BBC Country Farm Magazine podcast, a podcast that celebrates the best of the British countryside. Come with us for adventures into the wild and meet fascinating rural folk. And in this, the penultimate episode of season three, we are lucky to have a particularly special rural character in the form of Tim Smith, the founder of the Eden Project and discoverer and restorer of the lost gardens of Heligan in Cornwall. Tim takes our own Annabelle Ross on a fascinating, chaotic, downright hilarious tour of the extraordinary garden at Heligan, and reveals the great story behind its resurrection. Warning, this episode contains encounters with some disturbing, unidentified vegetables.
1: We're, we're in the vegetable garden. You call it the vegetable garden?
0: You're in the heart of the
2: productive gardens of the Lost Garden of Heligan. This this was a completely overgrown patch when we found it in 1990. Um, there are about 30 mature sycamores in here, Uh, there was bramble about five meters high, and two very old apple trees that were probably over a hundred years old. Um, And we had to take the hard decision to let romance die for a moment and cut down the apple trees. It was a very sad day. But you know, Philip McMillan-Browse, who was the horticultural director here, who was a, a, a complete madman for vegetables and and, and soft fruit. He said, we're either going to do it properly and tell the whole opera, or I'm off. And just behind you, what you see here behind you, is a a hedge uh, made of thuya thuya plicata. And again, I I came out of the show business, so I wanted an instant hedge. And he said, people who want instant satisfaction fail in horticulture, Tim. And he made me plant these plants uh, literally uh, two metres apart. It's heartbreaking, these little squidgy things. You know, and, and, and I said, well, where's the rock and roll showbiz in that? And he said, you wait. Now, look at it, look at it. It is absolutely astonishing. and It's in perfect, perfect health. There isn't a dead bit on it, and it's just burgeoning. When you put your head down to the path and look in, you see the big gaps between the roots, and you realise that I was right to listen to him and be bludgeoned into submission. <laughs> But it's marvellous. I mean, the walls here are made of, on two sides are laurel hedges that had crept up to 50 metres into the garden on either side, and the hedge at this northern end uh, had disappeared. So the only wall is actually the wall of what's known as the melon yard at the far end, which actually forms the, if you like, the, uh, the entrance into the, 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 the built productive gardens.
1: Can we walk down to the melon? You may. Did you say the melon wall? Yes, the...
2: it's called the melon yard um, it's a, it's a, an oval walled garden, very small actually, with some productive buildings in it. There's a um, potting shed, a tool shed, there's a mushroom uh, house and there's a fruit store and there's a greenhouse, uh, a small greenhouse called the melon house, where they used to bring on the melons and cucumbers and uh, they used to have the melons hanging in what looked like string braziers and the... Um, cucumbers were uh, held in what looked like glass rolling pins that were then tied to the end of the emerging cucumber so that they were grown absolutely straight they were sticklers for all that Who's they? They were the Tremaine family who owned the house Heligan House and they had moved here in the um, late 1600s and then slowly developed it so that by the end of the 1700s the garden we're walking through at the moment had had its skeleton laid out And in one of the major, in my view, one of the only uh, 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 arguments in favor of aristocracy, they had such a long-term view that in 1740 they planted hundreds of um, uh, trees on the boundaries of what would become the garden in order to create a shelter belt for a garden that would only get built 40 years later. That kind of long-termism I doff my cap to.
1: What are we walking under now, these you're, arched... We're
2: walking under a, uh, an apple archway of various uh, British apples of different types. So, uh, the majority of them on this archway, I think, are called Ribston Pippin. Um, I don't know the names of all of them. Um, there's Blenheim Orange. and I'm reading that off the label, by the way. That's not my deep knowledge. <laughs> uh, and over here, you have Newton Wonder. So they've all got different things in it. But, but one thing I want you to look at, though, you see these... Um, uh, uh, they're, they're kind of uh, zinc plant name labels one of the things we did here that no one had ever done before is we used metal detectors and we found almost all the original uh, plant labels which when you wash them off with soapy water and then uh, put a little bit of olive oil on it the Indian ink reacts with it so you can read them as clearly as if it was written yesterday and that's how we came to start the big quest to find uh, the varieties that have been growing here and it was that that led us on a journey of discovery because I don't, think, I don't think I had been aware quite of the influence of big agriculture on my life until we started to try and find the plants um, um, that, that, that we needed to restock it as it had once been in its heyday, which would let, let's call it the 1870s or something. Ah. It's always distressing when you fall face forward into the mud. Um, If we were to go up this way, um, you can see here this beautiful um, oval um, rear wall of the melon yard. which on the outside here you will see that the ground level up to about 4 foot 6 is made of stone and then it becomes brick. Brick was rare uh, here in Cornwall which is ironic considering how much clay we've got but there wasn't much brick building but the brick was there because it absorbed the heat. And the reason why we're in the vegetable garden is 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 because what we're trying to talk about is what's happened over the last, I don't know, let's call it 30, 40 years, is that the Lifestyle Choice magazines and books and television programmes about productive gardens disguise completely that horticulture at its highest level, agronomy if you like, the love child between agriculture and horticulture, is every bit as much a science as is medicine, as is pharmacy, as is engineering. And yet the profession has been degraded by our patronizing ability to look at it as if this was easy somehow. And that's been given by the fact that you get of like, you know, celebrity chefs and, and gardeners and whatever doing television programs without remembering to reference the extraordinary talents that are required to do this. Remember before the age of refrigeration, you would die if you could not grow things throughout the year. What you're looking at is the most extraordinary symphony of research. You're looking at, here, you have uh, three types of uh, fruit tree. These are, you see them, they are uh, f- fanned out as if you had an open hand. Uh, they are, as if they're crossed, which is uh, when they are espallayed. um, And then they're cordoned, which is when they just go up one line. All beautifully judged to make the sap go to making the fruit and optimising the fruit crop. What is remarkable is that here on the outside of this wall you have it replicated inside many of the same varieties because the idea is that the north-facing wall will fruit and ripen much later than the inside wall. You're trying to use the seasons. So the choice you had here is is remarkable. You had to, you had to find the vegetables uh, and soft fruit that would give you food throughout the year of course. But the major, the, the, the major thing was that how do you extend the seasons at the start and at the end? So you would you would choose certain types of apples were chosen that didn't taste very good, but they were amazing what were called keepers. You know, and when you when you read the Bible of fruit called dessert by Mr Bunyard it is the book if you haven't read it listeners it is the book there is no better book in the English or any other language about fruit it's almost erotic when it talks about the moment of optimum ripening it makes it sound incredibly lascivious but what he was actually talking about was to get the optimum performance from all your fruit and vegetable you required to know the seasons, the quality of the soil, the minerals in the soil and management of pest and disease so some of these apples you could keep till March maybe even April in in straw in the dark others would rot almost immediately but look, look turn around and, and what you see here is soil so good it is so good, it's about four foot deep this soil, in France this would be the terroir um, and in French gardens uh, what you get is the, the uh, head gardener owned the soil that he, he or she made and if you got if you fired him or her they would bring wagons and dig out their terroir and move it to their next employer but this terroir is amazing. You can see uh, just in front of us. You see see uh, old rotted down manure going onto the the, the, the grass. But you will also have seen a little bit of soot in its heyday because you wanted to make the soil go as black as you could, so that when you got the early spring sunshine or the late winter sunshine, what little heat was coming off, it was getting absorbed by the blackness of the soil. And also, um, the other thing about this soil is that that inside it you would have put you would have put a human night soil from the um, Thunderbox room, the toilet. They would collect everything, the urine and the um, the feces, and the poor chap, the pot boy, the youngest of the lads. It was his job or her job, I think it was usually his, uh, that you had to uh, dig out the um, SH1T and take it out into the fields and dig it into the the uh, into the ground here, and then when that was over, you'd you'd see the little minerals on the wall, the saltpeter, and you'd scrape that off with of a sharp slate. You didn't want to waste anything. But it was, uh, you know, nothing. Have you was,
1: kept that tradition going uh, we, at Heligan? We, we
2: only, we only, we only do it every other year for particularly naughty boys. Um, no, we don't do that. But, but to be quite honest, all over the world, it is something that is done.
1: I just wanted to, um, to just just name a few of these amazing um, pear varieties and things because we're sort of walking along, and I, I'd, I'd like to just name a few of them. So you've right, got the. Right.
2: have okay, well, um, got. They're, they're very good. They're very good. We we go from. A bed next to the laurel thing of wild garlic. And then the first fruit tree we come across is the plum. um, uh, uh, The river's early plum. um, Followed by another plum, which I can't recognise by sight because it's suddenly become autumn. uh, Plum Tsar. It's
1: a a Russian plum. Uh, uh, uh,
2: uh, 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 Because it's a Tsar does not mean it's Russian. But let's let's stick with that because it's nice. Here is a Williams pear. And I should think up here we may have... um, uh, doyenne de commis or what is this one no it's a pear Emile de Haste we have a doyenne de commise we've got a conference we've got even now we're stuck at the archway going, looking into the Mellon Garden and there by the door um, of uh, the, the, the southern door of the Mellon Garden you see a huge tree. do you see it? yes I do yeah. that is an incredibly rare pair I, I may be able to reach one for you later it's delicious could but... we try now? oh okay <laughs> it's called a swan's egg
1: and this is a sta- standing alone pet. It's, it's not like all these other ones are on the no, wall? This, and this, this one is... is
2: a loner. It is an independent pair. And here we're walking past more uh, fruit as we go in. We actually had a... What they used to have in here, I, I don't know why, but they did have American pillar roses for a long, long time. I hear it's a pair de comice. Um uh, But we decided to go for the fruit. We're not sure whether they grew... Roses because you know like in vineyards they often grow uh, they, they used to have roses at the end of every line of vines uh, Because the pests and diseases that liked vines would attack the rose first so that the gardener would actually know what to be on the lookout for Now look there is a windfall pear. Let's see whether it has got a wasp sticking tantalizing the out of the back of it or um, Well, I, I wouldn't favor this one because um, it's got a kind of suspect...
1: Oh, yes, it's a bit squidgy. You
2: know what I mean? The, the yeah. suspect springiness, which you, you you bite into, and you then have to look really polite. Um, let me just see where's the nearest pair. I can. See. Oh, crikey, up there. That's a long way up, isn't it? Oh, I tell you what, it, I may can, can in the it, tool yeah. shed. I may in the tool can shed. Can I put that back? Let's throw it in the corner there. Here we go. Here we are. You've got a spade. Are you ready to catch...
1: Well, not really, because I'm holding on to the microphone, but I I'll know. try.
2: Well, this is this is live theatre.
1: The Do Would you mind catching?
2: I had right. to knock off a swan's egg pair. Right, okay. Uh, literally knock off. I tell you what, if you were to knock it, I can catch it. Where about which one? Uh, uh, go forget which one comes first.
0: This one here. Here we go. <laughs> I got <laughs> so, water. No, <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> we tried. Yeah, well,
2: you did very
1: well. Now, if you bite this end. Is that it? Why do you have <laughs> it? Right. Let's oh. go there. Okay, oh.
2: Oh. <laughs> there's a couple. Right. Eat the side that isn't uh, bound. What's it like?
1: I haven't tried it yet. Done. I've got. There's. Can I put that one back? What's mm. this one called again?
2: Swan's egg. It is <laughs> one of the rarest eggs in the world. Pairs, you know what I mean? Got a squidgy bits. The other the non-squidgy side. Okay. When mm. you taste it, you might mm. say, "Thank you very much." Mm. It's a pleasure. That's Thank great. you very much. That's great. Can
1: that. That's delicious. <laughs>
2: Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You too. That is absolutely good,
1: delicious. Yeah. Mm.
2: But this, oh, mm. this raises a point about big agriculture. Um which I was going to make later when we look at the strawberries, or where, where we will have the strawberries in the cold frames. We grow what is the finest strawberry in the world, by miles, and no one would disagree. And it's called royal sovereign. However, the strawberry has a tendency to get what's called rust on its leaves, and it, it crops in a very low amount, which means it's completely uncommercial, unless you were to sell for £25 upon it. But there are all sorts of things with brilliant... I mean, the swan's egg is a lovely, lovely pear. It's, it, it, it's crisp and slightly sweet, as opposed to normally when you have a crisp pear, it, it, it that, that, that is the look of ecstasy. It's good, huh?
1: Do you, do you sell these pears or, or yeah. there aren't enough?
2: I mean, look, the only way I ever get one is when I accost a visitor and say, will you knock one off for me?
1: <laughs> and can you propagate...
2: Um... We propagate the strawberries. We don't propagate the pear. We just leave it here as a, an antique. An antique. Um, but you
1: can't reproduce this, this pear tree?
2: I didn't say I couldn't. Oh. I have never tried uh, yet um, because it wasn't grown in the garden other than as a special. Hello. Uh, they're the team that do the real work. Yeah. For those of you listening, that sound is a wheelbarrow with two people walking with manure.
1: They're the ones getting wet all day. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. Yeah. But look, over here. We've I mean, obviously got a lot of early saladings and mm. cucumbers and. Um,
1: proper cucumbers with the proper, spiky bits. Spiky,
2: spiky cucumbers. Mm. And I've no idea what that is over there. What on earth is that? <laughs> I, I've never seen one of those. I know this is, this is extraordinary, isn't it? I've got a tremendous face for radio. Uh, what, is, what, is, what is that?
1: It, it, looks, it looks quite ancient. It looks like a
2: melon that's been left in a pharaoh's grave. <laughs> <laughs> um Let's move swiftly on, and if we're lucky enough Can to we? see, I'm not going to take it out in case it's actually not what I think it is. That'd be terrible, it's, wouldn't it? If it was just to describe like
1: a, it, what, it looks like it a sort of strange what, melon what, what that's like brown like, and wrinkled and it cracked. Looks
2: like a very large Fabergé egg with gold filigree all over it in all sorts of different shapes.
1: There's another one behind it. That, one.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. It is, it is, it is, it is an amazing thing. I think we should photograph it and tweet it. <laughs> huh?
1: OK, let's do that.
2: Does the BBC run to tweeting it?
1: Yeah, OK, let me, let me, can you, could you hold the microphone?
2: I'll hold the mic. Hang on. All right. You keep
1: on talking. OK, I'll...
2: you're going to photograph it.
1: I, yeah.
2: This good, this is, you're really getting down with the country folks now, putting your hair on a, on a courgette leaf, a cucumber leaf.
1: Are there any, uh, are there meant to be any melons in here?
2: Um, are there meant to be any melons in here? Well, um, It's one of those questions I've never been asked. <laughs> are there meant to be any melons in here? Is it's it... not as if they break in or anything, is it? I mean, they would, they, they, it will have grown. <laughs> Someone must have deliberately done it. it didn't, you know, there's no broken glass. It hasn't sort of, like, bounced in here by accident.
1: I have to do this because we want to see the size. It is the
2: absolutely size. brilliant. You need your finger now. Oh,
1: but my finger looks huge.
2: Yeah. It's beautiful, though, isn't it? What does it feel like? Oh God, hang
1: on. Sorry, it's, it's complicated when you.
2: Do you know what? Ah, hello. <laughs> Look, talent has arrived. <laughs> the the brains trust. What is this?
0: Uh, it possibly is a gourd.
2: It's a, a gourd, is it?
0: Uh, that one is.
2: This. No, no. This is a, this pair. Is a pair. This, is a this pair. pair.
0: This pair. This. I don't know why it's in here, because these are cucumbers. <laughs> oh, no, no you, you're um, just
2: bolstering her confidence now, because that's yeah. what she said. But there's another one over there. Do you see that? It's the far yeah. wall. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, it's definitely not a cucumber.
2: What?
1: Inside. Would you like to open it?
2: Oh, no, I think anxious. I'd feel anxious. I mean, it might be this moment in Alien where someone bursts out of my stomach or something. It, I mean, this could be... It's a dinosaur egg. Well, no, it actually looks a bit like a puffball, doesn't it? It's sort of like groovy puffball. Is that one attached to a plant?
0: It's not attached. It's so not. Our confidence is building here, because... It,
2: it, our confidence, confidence is building, but, 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 yes. Is it justified for our confidence to build like this? <laughs> what do you it's think it's... You've got no idea what it is? OK, checked. it is the moment. It is the moment of Grand Theatre. I'm going to hide these because I've got them down to the Sharp, cold face of um, the wasp ending. OK.
0: You were about you, to...
2: Are we going to open one, Sure. Shall we go grab... I'll go grab
0: something. To to, okay. uh, we,
2: spade? Or you got a knife, have you? Yeah. Um, I this is good. Live, this, is, this is live podcasting. The BBC normally pays extra for this, doesn't it? I, I don't mean, know
1: how much of this is going to stay in, because <laughs> we can't do a whole podcast on a sort of unidentified dinosaur egg, can we?
2: In the old days, you could, mm. when you were good, you know. But now you've become a bit bourgeois and beige, I suppose not. You probably want to talk about Colleen Rooney or something. <laughs> no, but I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Now look, I this is this the is moment of theatre, oh. okay? This is, this is the, the rumble in the jungle. What's
1: yeah. your name? Bethany. 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 Yes. Bet. Do you want me to
2: do it? Yeah, I think yes, and then I blame you. That's okay. actually fantastic.
1: Oh, I think that sounds really promising.
2: This, 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 this is, this is, where Nicola comes in and bursts into tears <laughs> and says, "This was going to be my prize entry in next <laughs> week's garden show." Oh,
0: gosh. <laughs> it's a melon.
2: Oh, ah. my God.
1: <laughs> it's a wow. melon, is it?
2: Uh, wow. It's Are you, you going to eat it? I don't know that I ought to, but... <laughs> it smells like a melon, look. It smells actually, actually like a, a cucumber. cucumber. It smells like... That's exactly... Look, it is a cucumber, isn't it? Oh, that, it it's does
0: amazing.
2: smell like a cucumber, doesn't it? Oh, it,
0: really
2: it does. I tell you what. Life is too short to not have a bite. Can I have your...
0: My weapon of choice.
2: <laughs> you haven't been moving dog turds. Have <laughs> I haven't, I <laughs> promise. <laughs> Do you want a bite? Oh, absolutely. A, a bite. And we'll, we'll, we'll have a bite over here. I'll just get the seeds out. You never know what happens next week. Wow, it's quite sour.
1: Would you say, what would you call that? What sort of, would you say that was a cucumber or a melon or a mm. bit of both? Cucumber. They're the same family, aren't they?
2: Mm. I think they are. That's why we yeah. grow cucumbers and melons in the melon house. You see, it's all coming together so nice. Yeah, it's got quite a nice aftertaste, particularly like the grit stuck in there as well. Oops, sorry. Do you want a bit? <laughs> Thank you. Are we, are we
1: just, you. You hold the mic, everyone microphone. has to take turns holding the mic. <laughs>
2: Mm. This could be when later we read that... It's quite bitter. (laughs) It's
1: It's funny bitter taste.
2: Just before you grab your stomach and die. (laughs) You know what? I I think I've exhausted... I think I may have exhausted my interest in this cucumber.
1: Okay, can we... It was actually
2: more enticing before I ate it than when I started. I
1: agree.
2: You wouldn't want... A salad of this entire. Are you weekend.
1: very politely finishing yours?
0: <laughs> he is. He's, he's, he's our rent, <laughs> renter dinner. I'd, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll just keep going and see if the flavour changes a bit, I think, <laughs> isn't it? Definitely. <That's> <laughs> see, see, the more you have, the more you like something. This is a,
2: like a man eating the durian in the south. Sal- <laughs> that this, sal- sal- you know, this is a cucumber, this no, isn't it? It
1: is its a cucumber. Yeah. I mean, it, def- it won't have grown
2: brilliant. from one of
0: these ones, so it no. will have made its way into the bed
2: that as kind of <laughs> yeah excellent there's never been quite a podcast like this has there yeah, on, i don't think on, I'm gonna,
1: i think i'm going to get the sack <laughs> right. bye, bye, bye bye thank no, no, you that's
2: marvelous it's marvelous okay yeah no, look at okay. These all of these plants that are here are plants that that, that that were growing here originally look at this this is a medler, nottingham which are a marvelous medler. which is people have forgotten the art of of, of using the medler. can you see them they wonderful medler jelly terrific Better even than quince, and then here you've got another one. Here, here is a quince. I feel a bit rude having just said that, having stood just down the line. But th- these were all growing here before. And here, yeah, you will never see one of these. This is a manure pit. Ah, one okay. here, one there. You heat up what's in here. You looking very closely. You will see the most expensive pineapples in the world. Then
1: they must be going into sort of hibernation at the moment. Why? In winter, they don't.
2: No, that's why we've got manure in these trenches, which heats up and it makes it warm in there. It's a hot house. Gosh, the original, the original design, um, designed uh, by the head gardener here. This is, you got to think that these gardens were not uh, part of the pleasure grounds so much as they were a war front, like front zone. The, the owners of places like this were competing for the quality of exotic plants they had, and the biggest pineapple at the the Cornwall Garden Show. It now sounds quaint when you say the Cornwall Garden Show, but it was the first. And to win uh, the award uh, for for the best pineapple, the the, the most expensive, uh, expensive, the the heaviest of the pineapples was called Provident. And I remember seeing the winning charts for the 1840s, I forget what year exactly, but Lord Falmouth won with one of 15 and a half pounds. (gasps) That's the right sound to me
1: respect and so we're in is this one of the greenhouses that you this uncovered the melon, the, melon uh, the melon house that yeah. you uncovered
2: yeah and we rebuilt. and here you see the pineapples other oh, pineapples the cucumbers Please. Uh, we are not growing any in glass tubes at the moment we have got some in
1: but there's a glass there is a glass tube here i can see oh, so yes. that's oh, we
2: got one sorry yes that's there for tokenism to show you how it would have been everywhere else but this part isn't actually open to the public so it's the, the youngsters trying having a go.
1: But actually your cucumbers are quite straight anyway look at that one it's so straight.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely no well, it is and what else you notice in here is the um, here these are the biological controls the nematodes which come out and they eat slugs.
1: So we're looking at a, at a paper packet with a
2: yeah, uh, with some creatures in it that crawl out and then they, they then go slug hunting.
1: They kill the slugs?
2: No, they creep up on the slug and they bury in behind the saddle of the slug and then they lay eggs inside there. And then before you know it, the slug doesn't feel very well and then he's eaten from inside out. You see, it's good, this gardening lock, isn't it? It's, it's, it's actually like Game of Thrones, only a bit slower. Ah,
1: yeah, preparation for the cucumbers. Yeah, so
2: preparation for the cucumbers.
1: Gosh, your tools are all terribly neat and clean and and well well looked after. Yeah,
2: and they're all made for us. By
1: your tools are handmade for you, yeah. by. Uh,
2: um, they're made by a Dutch manufacturer, because when you actually do proper gardening, you need real tough stuff, real tough stuff. Also, we talk about the romance, let me bring let's bring this podcast right back to the key thing, which is the. Um, the, the, the heritage varieties. What's happened is that the heritage varieties who've got a, a, a giant gene bank of virtues that we will need in the future have been taken to the verge of extinction because they don't grow in a homogenous way. They don't grow exactly the same size, exactly the same color. They don't even sometimes ripen at exactly the same time. So they are no longer useful uh, in terms of uh, supermarkets and the rest of it. So no one grows them. And what you're looking at, to be honest, is a living museum that's been uh, kept together by um, probably, in my view, the most fabulous society the world has ever seen, called the Allotment Society. Um, they they have kept many of these varieties going. I mean, ranging from um, the the, the uh, uh, rhubarb triangle, uh, you know, up near Wakefield in in, in Yorkshire. Um, down to the Scottish Tabri group and so on. I mean, they're, they're marvellous people, marvellous, and and they're tremendously generous because when the, when they become the owners of something that is rare, they want to make sure that other people have got them as quickly as possible so they don't go extinct on their watch.
1: What's the importance of keeping these varieties?
2: Well, the, the importance of keeping these varieties... Um, First of all, most of these varieties were bred to be particularly good in a particular environment. They were adapted to a particular environment, and they were bred for certain attributes, either for uh, a particular tanginess, uh, preserving quality, or whatever. It could be it could be anything. But the preserving quality was also to do with when you cooked them. When you read, if you're ever lucky enough to get the original Mrs. Beaton's uh, Book of Household Management, what is interesting is that it was telling a basically urban uh, population which apples and pears and things to grow to use to get the particular type of pie or um, tart that she, she had in mind and now it's just take cooking apple well they're really different when you cook with the original varieties are expected it's a completely different beast but the more important thing is that pests and diseases as you know um, they are breeding all the time to, uh, to, to um, find out the weaknesses of their prey And one of the things about really good plant breeding is that you are trying to breed uh, a resilience uh, and adaptability that stops you falling prey to it. So therefore you find that, for example, uh, there's been a huge amount of research, as you would expect in things like the staple crops of potatoes and rice and that sort of stuff, because the pests get through and you need to get ever stronger crops and also, with a growing population, ever more nutritious uh, crop. And to lose varieties... I mean, in in India, there were something like 30,000 different types of rice, just like in Mexico, there are about the same number of varieties of beans. Um, And when you start to lose all those different varieties and you get down to, you know, dozens or hundreds, you are really weakening your ability to, to progress. And I think the shocking thing about the loss of this tradition is that you're not seeing the development of new types of fruits and vegetables as you would have done when it was local, because you could have started to get a taste for it and then it would move out. Now you've got to have a slam-bang dunk, you know, with a particular type of thing that is really, really attractive.
1: Do you think there's any... Um, do you know of any other gardens like Heligan that need uncovering? Have you been looking for any or or or, or are you stopping here?
2: I have no desire to do another garden uh, like Heligan. Um, Heligan was my particular journey... Um, It was one of the most exciting things, if not the most exciting thing I've ever done. Um, And it instilled in me values I didn't realise I had. The actual act of doing it taught me so much. Um, And it taught me a real love of of, of the science of horticulture and a massive respect. And now, as I get older and I see that this isn't just for a country living magazine or some lifestyle choice television programme, this is actually about life and death. You know, May was the dying month. Um, I feel almost a a, a missionary zeal to explain to people that gardeners, horticulturists, are proper people. They should be properly paid. Do you know how many gardeners we've got here? We have 23 gardeners at Heligan. That's more than we're here in their heyday. What what
1: size is the garden?
2: Uh, Well, the garden in total up the northern part where we are now is 22 acres, and I think it's another... 18 in the jungle that you know, but then we've got 200 acres of home farm and some gallops and the rest of it Um, But it's great. I mean the thing is that the better you make something the more people want to see it And that's why Heligan is the nation's favorite garden not for any other reason that I think people feel a sense of deep Spiritual sense of home here. It's it's proper. It's authentic. It's not fakery It's not like let's do oh, we'll just do you know, this week or that week to get visitors. We do what we do, and and people seem to like it.
1: I think we've probably finished there because that's half an hour. But I really want. I thought you were sort of edging towards the Thunderbox. Is it down there? It's th- there. There is. Are there. we get, Are we able to just have a little?
2: Yeah, yeah, we can have a dip.
1: I I gather this is one of your favourite parts of of Heligan.
2: Well, you're standing in front of the icon, if you like. If that's the right word. Um, the inspiration of what made us do the restoration the way we did it. Um, when I, when I found it um, with John Nelson, we were just in front of us, about two meters from here, through that entrance. Um, we were clearing out slates and broken brick and lime plaster and everything else. And then the sun came out and it hit the plaster. Um, you see some perspex; they're protecting the plaster, and it 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 glinted on the. Uh, lead pencil marks that were made in the wall, and we started to just look at it, and got a magnifying glass, and we saw that there were lots of names. So we c- copied down the names, and there was a, a slogan there which said, "Come ye not here to sleep nor to slumber," and then rather poignantly, or that we didn't know at the time how poignant it was, uh, it was dated August 1914, and we thought little about it as we found it at that moment. It was just that within a few days we happened to go to the Crown pub at St. Hugh, which is just up the road. And we went into the churchyard. And I can't can't remember for the life of me why, but we looked at the war memorial and we saw that four of the gardeners whose names are on there were on the war memorial. And that set us off on a course to go around all the war memorials. And we discovered that more than three quarters of the gardeners who had uh, been working here um, volunteered and uh, would fall in the war. Um, And that was the start of us uncovering the reason why the garden had become derelict was that from about 1915 onwards there were very few gardeners here and um, the guy who had uh, owned the garden, John Claude Tremaine, was so distressed at the loss of his staff and colleagues, of course we're living a long way west here, so he would, although he was the patrician... You know lord of the manor um, when you came a long way west you would have been friendly with your staff in a way that you wouldn't have been if you were near a big urban center so to lose i think it was 16 out of 22 15 out of 22 was a huge huge thing Uh, so he then went off to italy and never returned and the house was rented out um, and then eventually the house was turned into flats many years later and this place had all run derelict and uh, we came here in 1990 and you know, cut our way in because that's the only way you could do Everything was smashed down, there were probably 200 sycamores in this part of the garden and we had to take them out. But I fell hopelessly in love with it. I mean, you can feel it here, that you feel as if um, there's some kind of arrested, uh, time being arrested in a way that means the mood of the place is still there. There's a gentle melancholy. In fact, although it's a gentle drizzle falling, the garden is at its best with this gentle drizzle. Um, and we just felt there was this really powerful story to tell. And when we met Peter Thoday, who was the man who did the Victorian Kitchen Garden on BBC Television, he um, he thought we were funny because I didn't know anything about gardening at all. But he could see that I had set my heart on it. And he said, "Well, he said if you wanted to do something really original, you'd tell the whole opera, not the greatest hits." So challenged by that, we decided to do just that. So we became the only garden in Britain that was telling the whole opera, the whole vegetable garden story, uh, from the ornamental flowers to the vegetables, the soft fruits to the wall fruit and so on. Um, And then we had the the wild side, which is on the other side of the walls, you know, the, the, the the rhododendrons and all the Himalayan introductions. So it's been a fantastically exciting and humbling journey. And now today, I'd like to think that if the gardeners from 1915 were to come back, there you go. Proper job.
0: Well, if you listened to one podcast about strange garden produce this year, that was the one to catch. A huge, huge thank you to the inspirational Tim Smith for his wise and wonderful words on soil, gardening and life. And if you've never visited the Lost Gardens of Heligan, a fantastic treat awaits you. Find out about how to visit and what to expect at www.heligan.com. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to tune in next week for one last podcast in this series and we'll be back for season four in very early 2020. You can find more of our podcasts, many more of them, at Acast and the Apple Podcast app and all other podcast providers. And in the meantime, if you need anything else about the countryside, visit our website, Countryfile.com. That's it for now. Goodbye and thanks for listening.